Hey there. Welcome to More Than a Crush, a podcast about love. Each week, we pick a theme and share a story about one of the many facets of love. We are your hosts. I'm Marion Bolognese, an artist and designer recording from New York. And I'm Kim Berry, a therapist broadcasting from New Jersey. So, Kim. Marion, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you enjoying the fall? Um, yes, I enjoy the fall in general. It's a nice time. I prefer it when it doesn't get too cold too quickly. And, you know, you have very nice days and can just like, you know, just wear like a long sleeve shirt. Like you don't have to go straight to jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like, those See, I like to go short sleeve paired with a jean jacket. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whatever you like. That's my whatever combo you, these whatever days. Whatever you like, Kim. For me, it's, yes, it's, and it's whatever you you like for you. Isn't yes. it lovely how we can all just choose what we want? It's amazing. In the fall, it's so it's so freeing, so inclusive. The fall has, is truly inclusive. It is. Kim, would you like to introduce our theme tonight? I sure would. Okay. Guess what our theme is, crushers? Our theme tonight is baby love. Baby love. Are you all singing the Supremes in your head right now? I That's am. the Supremes, right? Yes, it is. It is the Supremes. Okay. Well, good. We're harmonizing in our heads together. That's how in sync we are. Yeah. It's, it sounds so good. Oh, my gosh. The harmonizing? Yeah. And just, like when, when you hit take that high note and then I kind of like come in with a like <laughs> richer, slightly lower note. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why don't we have a record deal? I don't know. <laughs> Is it um telepathic? Like, why don't we have like a a telepathic uh, record deal? We do. It's gone this? platinum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, we have that. We definitely have that. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, baby love. This was an exciting episode. We interviewed Erin McGee. She's an incredible human being. She is total badass. Um, Very much a badass. Yeah. And also just a lovely human. It was a pleasure to meet her. Yeah, she is a a lovely human. Um, I've known her for a little while. I was introduced to her through our mutual friend and um, who you also know as Roxy Cottontail, Miss Roxy Summers who is a very good, very old friend of mine and also a good friend of Aaron's and who introduced Aaron to her wife. Yeah, I met Aaron when she was pregnant with her daughter, Goldie, and, and we've worked together on some projects. You now she's just an inspiring, strong, smart. I, it's funny because she, in the interview, the way she describes herself slightly passively in some situations, I think of her as being one of the most assertive people I've ever worked with. <laughs> She's great. She's incredible. Founder of the brand made me an integral figure in women's streetwear and in men's streetwear as well, but from behind the scenes because she has been working at Supreme for many, many years. And certainly she has a very big role there. She's the head of development, special projects. And production. Yeah, she's definitely a tastemaker, extraordinaire, uh, all-around awesome woman and mom, right? So we were very excited about the interview and had a great time interviewing her. But, you know, both Kim and I are moms, even though we only 
minimally talk about it. I don't know how often we talk about it. We, it's been stated outright, but that's not the focus of the podcast. I'm like, I think a lot of moms, it's like mom-focused content. This is more of love-focused content. But since we talk about ourselves, we talk about our lives, we also then talk about our families yes. to some extent. Exactly. Well which said. includes the kids. Yes. And as I mentioned, I have worked um, with Erin on some projects. And on one such project, she told me some interesting stories about the challenges that she faced while she was trying to have her daughter um, or have she was very child. vulnerable i was i was really impressed with her vulnerability her her real her openness to, yeah. yes candor to to speak about all of this yes the way she shared the story the first time was it was it's, it's a great story and i've shared it with a lot of people since then and so i asked her if she would share it again with us tonight and she is going to and we are also going to discuss love of babies baby love yeah and this is a new segment this isn't what's love got to do with it where we interview people in the kind of the work that they do and uh how love is involved in in some intersectional way this segment is spread the love it's spread, spread the, the love, love. And this is where we either share your stories that you give to us or send to us or share with us, or we share stories from friends or, or first-hand accounts, first-person yes. accounts. Yeah. So pretty exciting. Super excited about this new segment. And we hope that there are many to follow because, right, that's what the name of the show is. Well, yeah, it's not it's what the name of the show is, but that's what the theme, theme of the, the concept. Yes. <laughs> Love. So all different levels of kind of, and I, that's what I like about Erin's interview um, is that she, she kind of gives us a couple different versions of love. She's talking about meeting her wife, and then she's talking about a labor of love to conceive her daughter. And that's pretty fantastic too. Yeah, for sure. Without further ado, here is our interview with Erin McGee. Take it away. Well, go for it. Go for it. Okay. Kim, this is Erin. Hi, Aaron, Aaron good morning. Hi, uh, good morning. So I asked Erin if she would join us because, well, Erin's amazing, and um, her and her wife Nicole. You guys have a great meeting story too. Uh, yeah, our meeting story is um, focal point is Roxy Cottontail, our mutual friend. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Kim I love Roxy. Roxy. Yes, yeah, I know Roxy. I Roxy too. Yeah, who doesn't know Roxy? Is, wait, is Fair she point. With, is she living with her parents? It was, did she, she moved, right? Yeah, yeah, she just moved to Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. The queen of New York City doesn't live in New York City anymore. It's I like know. Real, I know. Crazy, <laughs> right? So her and the Cottontails are going headed to, to Myrtle Beach in a caravan, moving stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah so we've been doing interviews and we've been doing interviews with a sort of a different theme but this is our first where we're asking somebody to share a love story with us Mm -hmm. um because we really want to get love stories from you know from interviews of love stories from real people not just us sharing love stories also about real things but you know one-on-one when we were setting up hearing a first person perspective yes okay when we were setting up for the Made Me collaboration. That's not a love story. That is not a love story. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, clearly, Erin just like left the interview. She's yeah, like, I can't talk about see, it. I'll see you later. Water was over there. <laughs> anyway, Erin shared a story about how her daughter Goldie came to be. And I 
Loved it. And I have since shared that story. I think I shared it with you, Kim, actually. I think it's a great story. And I think that a lot of people would love to hear it if you're willing to tell us. So the, the pregnancy thing or the meeting story? What, what The me and Nicole meeting oh. or the pregnancy story? I mean, All the above. Yeah, I mean, Whatever if you, you want to... It, the, the the thing that I was mostly focused on was you sharing your pregnancy story. But I mean, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how you and Nicole met also, I think it's nice to have the frame of reference of where it all came together and how it started. Yeah. So I can talk about the Nicole thing. So we met in a club, which I feel like now is such a weird thing because like, I think people just now meet online and then also there's no clubs anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty ancient. Is that like saying like, I don't know, that's like, I don't think that that's an outdate. I don't think that that like dates you or anything. Like, 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 we'll- like a pop, pop or something. <laughs> we met in a club. God, so we're really old because we met at a club. Um, and she was spinning records, which makes us seem even older. So it was that. Uh, <laughs> so was it, it was Sway? That- yeah, it was at Sway. It's a Roxy Cottontail, our mutual friend, had that really, like, legendary night. Mondays at Sway. I think Sundays was also cool at Sway. Sundays was – oh, my God, why am I blanking on what Sunday? Was it the Smiths? It was the Smiths night. Duh. It was yeah. the, why was I trying to call it the Cure night? It was the Smiths night at Sway. But my my friends were more into – like, I hung out with more of the Monday night Swayers. <laughs> And so my friends, you know, it's just like a real downtown crew. And then my friends would always go there. And I think my friends were like hosting a table. And when you were like 27, that was like a big deal. Like you got a free bottle of vodka. It was like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were there all oh, the same time, but we didn't know each other. Yeah, we were- no. yeah I didn't know you then. But so we had a lot going for us because we had a free bottle of vodka to share with 10 people. Um, so I, it was really weird because I would stay out really late and I still had a nine to five. So I would like, I don't know how, I think back on that, how was I ever able to do that? So I was doing the Monday nights at Sway, which I usually do. And then this, this new girl was teaching and I was like, who is that? She's so hot. I thought she was so hot. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. I was like, whoa, who is that? I haven't seen her around here before. All these scrubby downtown people. I <laughs> this person's not from downtown. Yes, and she cer- certainly is a sight to behold. That's a, a question. And it, and, and it was Nicole, and she was DJing, and I was like so into her. And so I asked Roxy, I was like, "Who is DJing? I what is happening? Like I've never seen this girl." And all my Mondays here. And she was like, it's that girl who sings the song, Move Your Body. And it was, <laughs> it was also like, wow, and she's a star. You know? <laughs> that song star was like, struck. Yeah, I was so starstruck. I was so starstruck because that song was like on the radio and it was like a really big deal. And like, of course, Roxy knew that, you know, like, of course, Roxy had them DJing her party. Roxy was like really advanced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was connected she was super connected at the, you know at the time she did everything before any of us ever did it she was obviously friends with the girls that were on the radio nina sky and so they were obviously djing because nicole's a twin roxy's party so i asked roxy to introduce me to her and she did um and then it took me like three hours until like four in the morning to craft this note to nicole on a napkin that said, I think you're cute. Call me. It literally took me like three hours to craft this letter. 
that said, I think you're cute. Call me. I like scrapped it and like redid it like 10 times. So I gave that to her. She got it. And then we like went our separate ways, but I had a girlfriend and she had a girlfriend at the time. So we were like loosely texting like from that note. Cause I left <laughs> my number. We were like loosely texting, but we didn't see each other for like three months. And then, cause we both had girlfriends and we had our own life going on. And, you know, I was like going to my little job at Supreme and she was going on world tours and stuff. So I, <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. And then like three months later, I saw her name on Claw Money's bachelorette party invitation, Ooh. which was hosted and curated by Roxy Cottontail. Here she comes and again. Hopping in. Streetwear <laughs> <laughs> history. Yeah. So Claw invited me to her bachelorette party and it was at this like hookah lounge and there was like strippers and stuff. And the DJ was Nicole. And that was the only other time that I saw her doing something around like in a place where I felt like I was invited to or my friend, you know, I could go to. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to this. Like nothing's going to hold me back. I literally took like the entire day to get dressed. And I remember exactly what I was wearing. This Marc Jacobs dress and Doc Martens. I remember to a T what I was wearing. It took me like literally eight hours to get ready <laughs> and I had this whole plan that I was gonna like <laughs> roll up on Nicole looking so cool and hot anyway I ended up just like hiding in the corner with Claw because I was too shy and embarrassed to say anything and <laughs> Claw, <laughs> Claw was so mad at me she's like I'm so fucking sick and tired of you talking about how hot that girl is pissing me off I'm so fucking over it I'm going up there so I don't know if you guys know Claude, but she's like really bossy. Yeah, I know Claude. Yes. I don't really know how bossy she is, but I definitely know her. <laughs> really bossy and scary. And so, and so Claude was so sick of me sitting next to her at her bachelorette party in her ear, just being like, oh, that girl is so hot. That girl is so hot. And not, I wasn't doing anything. I just sat there. So Claude was like, I'm going to go take this into my own hands. And she went up to her and she said, my friend is going to buy you a drink. Me, right? So then Claude comes like marching back. She literally, I remember this distinctly, grabbed me by like the collar of my Marc Jacobs dress, pulled me <laughs> off the, the thing, and it pushed me. She literally pushed me. And she goes, I told her you're buying her a drink. Get the fuck out of here. And like pushed me through it. Let me back to my bachelor party. I don't want to hear about this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like went over and I was like so nervous. I went and bought two drinks, one for me, one for Nicole. And then Nicole's twin sister, Natalie, like intercepted me and was like, hi, I'm Nicole's assistant. She sent me Assistant. Over. Yeah. And I was like, twin, <laughs> twin, twin assistant. Meanwhile, they're like famous. And they're like famous. They're like, have like music videos, videos, they're on TV, they're on the radio. I'm like, you're not her assistant, you're her sister. You're in the <laughs> thing with her. I, I know exactly who you are. She's like, I'm her assistant and she sent me over here to get the drink from you. And she'll talk to you later and grab the drink and brought it over. And so I couldn't talk to Nicole because why Natalie did that is because Nicole's girlfriend was with her. And oh. she tried to avoid us getting in a huge fight like a fight erupts. So I didn't really know that. And I just thought it was really weird. And I, at the time I thought, oh, she must not like me. She sent her sister to lie to me to get me away. So I was like, oh, 
it sucks. This is over. Like, yeah, that sucks. Your your outfit was so good. I know my outfit was so good. So, and so then I got really upset and I was like sad. So I I was like, I guess I'm leaving. And I was like walking out. I was going to, this was like four in the morning. I was like walking out and then Nicole came and got me and like ran up to me and I was walking out and whispered in my ear, I'll call you tomorrow. And this like really deep, she had like the hottest voice. And that was like the first time I heard her voice. And I was like, (gasps) okay. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to act so cool. And I just like walked away, but inside I was like, oh my God. Your voice is even hotter than I. You look ah! like I like. <laughs> and then she did. She like called me or texted me or something, and then like the rest is history. We both broke up with our girlfriends within like weeks after that, and then that was in two thousand and seven. And then we got married in two thousand and eight. Wow. Awesome. And you've been married for over ten years. Obviously, yeah. you can do simple math years. here. Yeah, yeah twelve, 12 years. years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. So that's that story. Which is a pretty great story. Yeah. I mean, because it's it, it was like this powerful love that was like, you got there was this clearly a really intense attraction. For a reason. Assistants were not, assistants were not going to get in the way of that. <laughs> yeah. Assistance. Yeah. Assistance. So when did you find out that that was what, like, the, the backstory of, like, why Natalie intercepted the drink? Like, how long did it take to find that? I can't remember because then, then me and Natalie didn't really have like a great like few years. Cause like they're so close, you know, they're like, clearly they're twins. And so like Marianne knows like how close twins are. Um, Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're twins and they're also like business partners and they're, they do everything together. They have a, a singing group together. They have hit songs together. They do the radio shows together. They, you know, like, they have business to get businesses together. So they're like best friends. So when I came into Nicole's life, I, I didn't have the easiest time with Natalie. I always tell Natalie like this now and she doesn't admit to it. And it's really funny, but like she was a huge bitch to me for many years because I was intruding on her, her best friend, you know? Yeah. I mean, I understand that, that, that dynamic is like, must be tough to enter into. Yeah. I think I'm good with dealing with bitches. So I just like let it go. You know, it didn't really bother me, but I never got close to Natalie for many, many years because she's super protective of Nicole. And when I bring it up now, 12 years later, like Nicole was the same with her husband. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Nicole admits to it too. She's like, yeah, I, I like put him through the fucking ringer too. And what's really crazy is that. So me and Natalie's husband had the exact same birthday. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Wow. So their twins clearly have the same birthday, and then we have the same birthday. What's their birthday? Um, March thirteenth, and then we're January nineteenth. So they're they're married to people who have the exact same birthday. And then if this wants to get really trippy, Nicole's parents have the same birthday. Whoa. What's their birthday? <laughs> February 3rd. Wow, that's all just really close, too. It is. So I want to, I want to like, have a little, like, segment where, like, uh, Kendrick, like, pops in. That's uh, says, uh, Yeah, we have a, a, a astrologer. astrologer interview piece, and I would love to hear what he has to say about that. Mm-hmm. Me too. We should like figure that out. I'm surprised yeah. we haven't gone to someone yet. But the fact that Mike, which is Natalie's husband and me, have the same birthday is like really trippy. And then Natalie's son has the same birthday as my father, her baby. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
it's all intertwined and, and weird, but it all must mean something. And me and Goldie <laughs> have the same birthday. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> the same birthday. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is the day before my twin's birthday. Not that I'm trying to, you know, That's involve really- myself <laughs> in like your <laughs> – <laughs> That's just a coincidence. I'm, I'm much more interested in have, hearing what's going on within your family. This is pretty interesting. <laughs> I'll have the same birthday. Some kind of connection to birthdays. Yeah, which is it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, efficient parties. It's wild that her parents have the same birthday. I've always wondered about that, like how that works. Well, it kind of gets you off the hook. You know, no one's going to forget anybody's birthday. Yeah, that yeah. does. It's really easy in your family, I guess, for birthdays. So, do you and Natalie's husband have parties together sometimes? No, we have like the most opposite group of friends. My group of friends is like a scene of Truth or Dare. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone's like cackling and screaming with comb bras on. <laughs> There's not a great person in sight. <laughs> and then, you know, his, his, he's like a dude. You know, yeah, he's a straight dude. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not his ideal birthday. Nobody comes to mind, and I'm sure he's like, God, oh. when is this over? It's <laughs> <laughs> my birthday it. today, too, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a good party is a good party. Mm-hmm. And I um, miss parties. Yes. I'm like, what I want to do to go to a party right about now. <laughs> it's very funny to me to think of you being so shy and taking so long to craft that note because you're very assertive in the world. So Am I? I've known you and yes. Okay. <laughs> Am I? Okay. Yeah. I think I am in in my like businessy stuff, but like I really am not in like yeah that kind of stuff. Like, listen, you're gonna figure this out, okay? Oh, I love you're gonna figure figure this this out moment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So as we briefly mentioned, you have a daughter, Goldie. It's beautiful, and just turned three, right? And you and Nicole decided that you were gonna have. A baby sort of early on right after you got married shortly after you got married it kind of started when i think i was about 31 and i'm 40 now god i hate saying that (laughs) i mean old enough to have met your wife at a club (laughs) (laughs) so yeah should i get into that now that long story if you don't mind sure yeah so if you want want to share uh, yeah only if you're comfortable sharing no i'm comfortable sharing um yeah I think it was around when I was 31 so Nicole wanted to have a baby I think Nicole wanted to have a baby more than I did at the time I wasn't there yet but I kind of just went through the motions Mm -hmm. thinking back on that I thought I think that's pretty insane that I I did that but I'm also like this kind of person that's always like well I can just handle it all like I'll just figure it out you know like I I, I'm like fine throw a baby into it let's just (laughs) see how that works (laughs) Nicole is much different than me. Like we're going to start soon trying with her, but like, you know, she really wants to make sure everything's right before we like start. And I'm. Oh, that's exciting. You said you didn't know before, but that's really exciting. Yeah. But we're not like there yet, but we're talking about it. And I think we're like taking our time because she's a different person than me. And she needs to make sure everything's like good and solid and stuff before she starts. But I'm kind of different. I didn't really want to do it when I was like 31, but I kind of just like went along with it in a way. And I was like, it's okay. I'll figure it out. You know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't kind of vibe. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think was a good mentality, like in retrospect, otherwise it could have like really broken someone down, I think, to go through what I went through. But I think since my mentality was really like, I'm cool either way. Yeah. 
that helped you survive that struggle? Yeah, because I think like what I went through was pretty intense. And I think most people probably would have had a harder time emotionally with it than I did. But I was kind of cool if it didn't happen. You know, I started the process when I was like 31, going to the fertility doctor, doing like IUIs, which are kind of like turkey baser inseminations at the doctor. I don't know how else to say it. That's that's how I would call it, turkey baser. (laughs) That's how people who like don't go through it understand understand it the best I think so you know and then that wasn't working and then like then we started to like try the drugs the fertility drugs and then so I got all on all those drugs which are like really crazy and continued with the IUIs and then that wasn't working and then we switched sperm donors and that wasn't working you know that was probably over the course of a year year and a half and then they were like okay next step is IVF because they couldn't find anything wrong with me they were like you're young you're super healthy nothing's wrong with you whatsoever like there's no reason this shouldn't be working it's just a timing thing that's all that they would say it's just a timing thing you know and every time it's just a timing thing it costs like an IUI costs anywhere between like five and eight grand. Yeah. I also think that stress plays a huge part in it. Cool. Good question and good like comment. But like I said that to this first fertility doctor I was seeing. She's such a fucking bitch. I'm, I look back on her and I'm like, oh my God, you were horrible, miserable human. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I said what you just said. I'm like, could it be stress? I think stress probably plays a, a a, a big role and why this isn't working and it's like unexplained why I can't get pregnant and her answer to me was like this is New York City do you think you're the only woman stressed out here Ugh. oh how invalidating that's awful yeah. even if you're feeling kind of Not on cool, the doctor. fence around the process it's still incredibly stress to like be in the doctor's office all the time and have all these procedures and yeah. even choosing a sperm donor can be a really, can be quite the process in and of itself. It it totally is. And then to have a price tag attached to every single like quote unquote, like just timing, that's (laughs) buy money. I've never paid for something and never gotten anything. You know, it's like, (laughs) when when are you in a situation where you pay for something (laughs) and you possibly get nothing? Yeah. (laughs) No, it's true. It's very, in New York, I mean, just get get in line, sister. Who isn't yeah, <laughs> you and everyone else is stressed? <laughs> I was like, wow, what a huge, massive bitch. And like looking back, and I was like, I think about that woman all the time. Whenever I pass her office, view, I always get like this really like bad feeling. And like hmm. whenever I drive past her office, anyway, she totally sucked. But it took me like a year and a half to realize she wasn't for me. Then we moved, and I started doing IVF. Well, first I started doing a couple IUIs and it still didn't work well. I changed sperm donors probably three times. You know, we started blaming the sperm. Maybe it wasn't connecting with me. Did a few IUIs with those guys at Columbia University and then it wasn't working. So then we moved to IVF, which is an insane process. I don't know if any of you guys have gone through that. It, it's really weird. I've never had an abortion, but it, it sounds like the same kind of thing. They put like a bunch of women in a room to do the same procedure like the egg harvesting oh, where really? you're like it's really weird it's super handmaid's tale i'm telling you it's like real handmaid's tale so like you spend like months like doing all these drugs and like giving yourself shots in the ass and shots in the leg and shots in the stomach every night to i, I can't remember the right words for it i don't want to sound uneducated but it's just to give you a lot of eggs so 
during a cycle, you it's only like, produce one, one, maximum two eggs. As a natural cycle, you, you produce one, as a woman, you produce one, maximum two eggs. In an IVF cycle, you take all these fertility drugs so that you can produce a lot of eggs so that they can then harvest the eggs and then freeze them, right? That's what it is. When it's time to get them harvested, you have to go under an anesthesia. It's like surgery. But you're in there with a bunch of other women. <laughs> That's crazy. So you're in this like waiting room kind of it's feeling. Like curtains. And you could hear everything. You don't see them, but you wow. hear them. And it's like just paid all this dough. Because by the way, these are like 30 grand. Jesus. And I've just put myself through like actual hell doing these drugs and your emotions are crazy and you're like such a flaming bitch and then you're like falling and you I always called it salmon row. Like I felt like I was like caviar, like I had like a thousand <laughs> eggs in my stomach. Like I was like fucking mother frog. <laughs> <laughs> so like you know how disgusting you feel when you're on your period and you're just like producing one egg, one follicle. And then literally like you're trying to get like 25. So multiply like a period times 25. That's what like these drugs make you feel like you're like insanely bloated. Like it's wild behavior. So then you go in to it's like the moment of truth to, to see how many eggs that they can get out of you. Yeah. So they put you under and they do their, it's basically they scrape your uterus with fucking kills. First of all, uh. <laughs> and then <laughs> You're in this room where there's like a bunch of women and they're all separated by like curtains and you can hear the doctor when you're waking up, come to you to tell you how many eggs you got. So it's like a competition. Oh. And so you start feeling like really fucked because like this woman beside me gets like, That's not okay. That should definitely <laughs> happen in private. What the yeah, hell? And also that's like, that's, that has to be a HIPAA uh, violation. It's insane. So I like hear like them coming and I'm like, okay. And they give you like a cookie and like an apple juice, like you're an infant or something. And then like, <laughs> good job. Here's some apple juice. <laughs> oh God. I, I mean, you woke up it, from anesthesia. I wonder if that's a, you unique, have blank eggs, a unique thing in that setting. Like that it's a very big uh, and popular location. So they have to do is it, so is it a many. teaching university? all great questions and part of it is like they do their care like doctors and round kind of thing you never have like your own real doctor you have one like doctor you report into i guess that's like your one head doctor but then like you'd actually never see that guy during any of your treatments mm. they just rotate around so i think probably that's just like how they set up the office so that they can like you're suggesting deal with as many people as they can at once mm -hmm. which harks back to the whole thing but this is just a business and they're just trying to like right yeah you're done yeah. yeah yeah so there's like five of us in there with like the curtain separated everyone's paid like 30 grand a pop to be in there and then you're like i can hear them being like you congratulations you got like 25 eggs and then like wow the next check is like congratulations you got like 15 i think i got like eight so i felt like first of all like I sucked and i was like great i already feel crazy now i got like no eggs but some people just don't respond. It doesn't, it's, it's not yeah. even, it's just that there are some people that aren't great um, for that method. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah the, it's just, it just doesn't, re you don't respond to, you're not like a, an egg factory, turns out. Yeah, I'm not an egg but, and, and the yeah. thing is, eight eggs is a lot. I mean, that, truthfully, yeah, you're only that, supposed I mean, to have one maximum. Two. Yeah. yeah, if you're supposed to have a one to two, eight is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right, so there's like that, so they get them. And then what they do is they, they ask you, how many you, you want to fertilize? 
because if they fertilize them outside of you and then they they see if they fertilize in the test tube that's why they call like babies that were born through IVF test tube babies because they fertilize the egg outside of your body and then once it's fertilized and they see that it's healthy then they implant it into your into your uterus then it goes into like cool so how many do you want to try to fertilize and then you have to like tell them and then only a certain amount of those will actually fertilize so eight gets broken down to like four and then get broken down to like two i think i only ended up having two that fertilized whatever long story i the only one of them implanted and then i ended up having a miscarriage because they called me and said you're pregnant i was like yeah i'm pregnant and then like two weeks later you have to go for a follow-up and then i wasn't pregnant anymore uh, so it was like right away that that happened. yeah it was like right away and i can't remember what they called that whatever i did that three times no Oh no. Wow. <laughs> like fuck. This. How were you feeling time, at that point? Were you were you still feeling a little bit like it's cool if it goes either way or did did you were your your like emotions around the situation changing? Well, I was getting older, you know, so like all of this is over the course of like 5 or 6 years. You know, 5 years. Right? So I was 31 when I started and then yeah, I mean 5 or 6 years. Yeah, and towards the end of it I started to really want to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I just started. You were really scared. invested, yeah, and you're I a pretty started... determined person. Like you're not going to just take no for an answer. Yeah, and I was kind of like that. Kind of, I think maybe it was more of that. I was like, wait a second here. <laughs> I on the prize. I'm working on this. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was more of that. So we were feeling frustrated about the whole thing because we didn't like that first woman and then they kept saying the same thing to me too they kept saying like well you're super healthy and you're you know and like there's nothing wrong because you have to go through all this testing to like this thing called an histopignogram do you guys know what that is Mm -hmm. no i don't where is it that is that when they have it's you're kind of like an mri machine not an mri machine but they shoot like radioactive stuff and so they can kind of see what's going on inside your yeah yeah. did you have that i i've had that yeah yeah so they make you do that all the time. Exactly. That like glow in the dark ink. It sounds really cool. Like it's like a Halloween thing. It sounds like. Cool Let's Halloween. check out all your lady parts <laughs> with radioactive juice. Yeah. yeah. And then they do this thing where they like blow up a balloon inside of your uterus. Have you had that one? Yep. Oh my God. That's fun, isn't it? <laughs> so you have to go through all this crazy testing before you do any of this kind of stuff because they want to figure out if anything's wrong with you. But all my tests came back like perfect. Nothing's wrong. So it would have been kind of cool. Which is a good thing, but it's challenging when they're like, they can't come up with a real reason. It's just, you know, you're not stressed. (laughs) You live in New York, a what bitch? (laughs) Deal with Ah, it. Sorry for asking. (laughs) Um, How dare you? So like you're like you said, it's like it's on, on one hand it's a really good thing that nothing's wrong. And then on the other hand, it kind of sucks because you're like, I wish we could just get to the bottom of this and then right. find out if something was wrong and then fix whatever's wrong to make it work. Which brings me to the third and final chapter and how I actually did get pregnant with Goldie was this doctor, his name is Dr. Sammy David, and he's awesome. He's so cool. And has a great name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So we found out about him through Nicole's friend who is also a lesbian mom and her wife. They had two children via Dr. Sammy David. So Great. he 
is this like unicorn doctor guy. He's super old. Like, he's got to be close to 90. He's very Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And like, we have to protect him. R.I.P. R.I.P. I know R.I.P. I know R.I.P. So he's very Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He was the first doctor in New York City to do an IVF. Wow. Wow. And so through this, he determined that IVFs are bullshit. He wanted to be the guy who figured out why women would need an IVF because his whole thing is you shouldn't need one. Let's figure out how we can get you pregnant and what's really going on and why it's not working. That's the guy I needed because I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. We went and saw him. He has like a fully organic office. He has the bomb office across from like Central Park. All those other offices, by the way, there was like stains on all the chairs. They were in like grimy basements, literally like stains on the chairs, like where like something happened in a woman's procedure and like something happened on the chair and no one wanted to clean it up. They were rude. All those other offices, like the billing department was like super rude. They were like screaming at you for like checks for 30 grand and like on the spot or you can't get your treatment, you know, just like the whole, all those other offices were like such a bad experience. His office is all pink. It's all organic. He did all of it. He has like organic paint, organic carpets. It's right across from Central Park. It's really fast. <laughs> I can just pick walking into this pink office being like. It's pink. It's so cool. <laughs> He's so cool and funny and weird and cool. And he sits with you, your first appointment, he sits with you and your partner for an hour or an hour and a half to learn about what's going on in your life, who you are, what you do for a living, how much stress you have, how much coffee you drink, how much alcohol you drink, how much exercise you do, what your blood types are, blah, 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 to try and figure out, because he's like a pregnancy detective, to try and figure out why it might not be working. So we, we went to him, loved him. You have to do all these tests and stuff. And, and he found out that Nicole and I had some bacteria on our cervix. That was like, when you have this thing, you don't show any symptoms. You're like sick with something, but you, you I can't remember what the bacteria was called, but you don't. You're Is not it like, group strep B? Maybe. So both of us had to go on antibiotics for three weeks. And then he found out that I had this thing called high natural killer cells, which means that like, my body was fighting any kind of implantation. So like mm. when the egg would try and implant into my uterus, my body would act as if that was like an infection and kill it. Wow. Which makes sense with my personality. <laughs> <laughs> I just won't do that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, <laughs> so for the cervix thing, we had to go on antibiotics. And then to like, to fight back against the natural killer cells thing, I had to do this soy, all of his treatments are natural. So I had to do this like soy infusion during my insemination. So I was like hooked up to like an IV drip, which was dripping soy. Wow. Really interesting. Right. And then he gave me acupuncture. He has an acupuncturist on site, which I love acupuncture. So good. Yeah, obsessed. And so he gave me, his acupuncturist gave me acupuncture while I was getting the insemination with the soy. And on the second cycle, I got pregnant. So naturally with no drugs. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Long story, but. No, but it's such a good story. Yeah. It's a really good story. I mean, you need all those details for the, for the real powerful finish. 
yeah, it worked. And it was like, wow, he's doing what all those offices refuse to do. Well, they can't, they can't charge as much for that. And by the way, he's half the price of all them. Yeah. It's sad that so many people don't have access to someone like him first, but it's so wonderful that you did. And, you know, great. Anyone can go to him, by the way. And by the way, just so you know, my infertility treatment was never covered through my insurance because the, the definition, and this is so absolutely fucked, the definition on insurance companies, the definition of infertility is this, having heterosexual sex for six months or more without getting pregnant. Oh my God. So most of the women that I'm sitting in this office with, these, most of these women are getting this covered through their insurance, but me, I can't. And just for that reason, because that's so fucked up. What the hell? Yeah, because I'm not in a heterosexual relationship. So even though I am infertile, because I've done more than 12 or six cycles of IUI, my insurance company could, would never cover it. So I paid for all of that stuff out of pocket. That's such discrimination. It's total discrimination. I contacted lawyers, but I was like, really, I'm going to start like fighting some insurance company trying to do all of that. I was like, I don't have it in me. I was like, I'm going to leave that to like a real powerful check because I don't have it in me to do that. Yeah. Not while also trying to get pregnant. Exactly. And like work and do all the things. So I was like... The cool thing about him is he actually doesn't accept any insurance, but he's a fraction of the cost of these other places. Well, he's pretty wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have Goldie. Yeah. When you were finding sperm donors, you were looking for someone who kind of resembled Nicole, right? So that Goldie would look like both of your child sort of. And it's really funny because the other day I was looking at a picture of her for your the birthday picture or something like Nicole, awesome. right? yeah it was like holy Nicole shit <laughs> holy shit wow she doesn't even look like me she just looks like nicole it's like really weird because nicole always had this like fear where she was like i don't want to be like walking my own kid and someone like thinks i'm the nanny because i have like this white ass blonde kid because people won't see you you and nicole look very different you have very different looks yeah i'm yeah. hot and she's <laughs> You're both you're both very beautiful, but you have totally. We already know that she you yeah. think she's hot too. Yeah. <laughs> we heard that story first. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so yeah, so sorry, yeah, I cut you off a bit there, but yeah, she does we 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 were good at shopping for sperm, but you know what? Yeah. Changed the sperm donor so many times. But this is a funny story. I don't know if you know this story, Mary. Yes, I I love this story and I want okay. I want you to share right. it. So because I had to change sperm donors so many times because we kept thinking it was like the sperm donor's fault. And like, I love to blame a dude. So I was very into that. No, I live for blaming a dude. So I was like, it must be his fault, not mine. So we, we changed the sperm donor so many times, but we wanted a Puerto Rican sperm donor because that Nicole's Puerto Rican. But I got, we went through all the Puerto Ricans that were available, like in the United States. That we were, <laughs> which is hilarious because you're in New York City. Like, <laughs> I guess there's there's not a lot. There's like seven, and we used them all. So we're going down the list of like um, Spanish and like the literal alphabetical list, and it was like Puerto Rican, Peruvian. Let's try that one. <laughs> that works. <laughs> it worked. So Goldie's actually 
Peruvian. That that was the one that works. Yeah. She's not Puerto Rican. She's Peruvian. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, it worked. It really worked. I've heard of people doing all sorts of things in that situation. Um, men sometimes put, or I've, I've heard of women doing it too, where they put more than one, like they have the eggs mixed together. I don't know if that's possible. Mm. And then they don't know who's this, the one yeah. that's fertilized. They both have eggs extracted. We, yeah. we don't know which ones are fertilized and then whatever is implanted. Yeah. How, how, did, how did, if you don't mind me asking, how did you make the decision that you were, cause it's interesting that it sounds like Nicole was very much like, let's have a kid. You were like, come see, come see, maybe, maybe not. But you, you were the one that was going through, uh, physically, the, um, the medical, uh, interventions. How did it come to pass that you were going to be the one that was going to be extracting the eggs and carrying the baby? Cause I'm four years older than Nicole. So we just thought like she would have more time to do it, mm. you know? Right. That, that makes really sense. The only reason. Yeah. So now that you are considering the possibility of Nicole possibly doing this process, are you going to be looking for a tall Nordic? (laughs) Oh no, you have Goldie's father sperm, right? Yeah. So here's another super story. So after I got pregnant with Goldie, we bought four vials of his sperm so that we would have a little bit because we want Goldie to have a biological sibling. We were so happy we had Goldie and then we had some of the sperm in the bank and then we just like went on our merry way in our life. And then at the start of the pandemic, we started talking about, hey, maybe Nicole should try again. So we kind of like forgot about it, you know? So we were like, let's do this, like, let's go back to this and see and see how much sperm we have. And like, maybe we should just buy more and just to make sure we have more, right? Because four vials can go pretty quickly. Manhattan Cryobank was a sperm bank that we use and it's out of business. (gasps) it's out of business where the heck heck is the sperm because by the way it's so expensive vials of sperm are like a thousand bucks each it was like four grand and goldie's sibling is like where is it we're like oh it's out of business it's not there anymore we start they don't let you know even though you own that sperm you would think right what the fuck yeah yeah you'd think so we start like googling and like figure what what's going on like what is this like so Turns out Manhattan Cryobank had to go to business because there was all these lawsuits against Manhattan Cryobank in between the time that we had Goldie and now, so three years, that they were not properly vetting the sperm donors. You know, they have to go through all this medical testing and all this genetic testing. A lot of the babies born through Manhattan Cryobank had a lot of genetic issues, diseases and things that they said that they tested against that they simply didn't oh no they i guess were sued and found guilty and then had to close up shop and then this bigger cryobank called california cryobank bought them i guess or like assimilated all of so you, the, the sperm is there then you still have access to it it's just through like yeah. it's like when your okay, bank, so, bank buys your so, mortgage yeah. So, so hard to get in touch with them. And then they couldn't find it and they didn't know where it was. And then, we, and then like all this secrecy, it was really intense. And then what we really just wanted was we wanted to buy more. That's all we want. We wanted to just re-up. Like we had four and we wanted to like buy like four more so just to make sure we had it in the bank. 
they're like, there's none available. But we knew when we only bought four the last time, he had full stock because that's how it works on the sperm banks. Like you can see, like they have these like thermometers next to the guy's name. It's like he had, (laughs) our guy had like full thermometer. He had all of those. He was new. That's why we only bought four because we were like, oh, we can always go back and buy more. They were like, no, he's all out. But we were like, that can't be. He had tons, you know, and basically we had to hire a lawyer to dig in. What we discovered is that because they're so nervous that Manhattan Crime Bank didn't do all the testing they were meant to do, they're no longer selling any of that sperm that they, they say they don't have it, but they have it. They're just not selling it. They're but you still of- have yours? Yeah, we have four. Okay. So Goldie has a really slim chance now of having a biological sibling, yeah. Can you just go to Dr. Sammy David like right off the bat so that it just That's what I was going to say. I'm like, just so- start there and then it's hopefully. <laughs> yeah, Nicole will do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I have confidence. I think it's going to work out. I hope so too. <laughs> yes. You did all you did all the leg work. You know the the best route. Yeah, yeah. and then cut out, uh, cut out the less than savory medical experiences and go straight. For yeah, go straight. straight David, straight for the the good stuff. Yeah, but he's just like I feel like I literally feel like he's ninety. We have to we have to get on it. Yeah. Um, there's a, there are some other practices that are similar to that. So I've share actually shared, uh, your story with a couple good friends of mine and one of them did not go, she did research him, but for whatever reason, I don't think she could get in touch with him or wasn't able to get into his practice or in time or something. And yeah, she found, he has, a, he has a long wait time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she found a similar practice also with acupuncture and she had success oh, cool. with it right away, oh, cool. um, diet and acupuncture. So, oh, cool. and so she has a baby now. The name of the place she went to? No, but I will get it and I will give it to you for sure. It's in the city. Uh, she loved it. Loved it. That's cool. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. And when I met you, you would ha- you were pregnant still. And then you had Goldie right Wait, away. I? Yeah. And uh, the first time I met you, you were pregnant. Yeah. And then you had Goldie. We had to urgently have the meeting because you were going to have the baby like any day uh, and um and, yeah well there was other more important things going on turns out <laughs> and so then you had goldie and i met the second time i met with you you had just you were on maternity leave i remember the, bringing goldie oh yeah 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 in the stroller yeah because i don't i don't think i actually saw, saw her you were telling me and roxy because roxy was with me how like amazing it was to I loved this too. Like you on maternity leave with Nicole and you guys were like watching TV or whatever, like your shows and you couldn't picture how crappy it would be in a heterosexual relationship. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) And I was laughing to myself and I was like, she's really right about this. Like, did I fuck up? (laughs) I talk about that all the time. (laughs) My husband's not going to watch any of this shit with me. (laughs) Yeah. My maternity leave was the best three months of my life. Yeah. Because I had to go home. 
And we watched like bullshit. We were watching like Love After Lockup and like it was so cool. Or like <laughs> Drag Race and like just like crazy girl crap. Like we were just like going off. And but I, I don't know. That's just part of, you know, like, and I'm like, oh my God, straight women, like they guys like go to work and then they come home, take care of the baby and they want to watch like baseball or play like Xbox, <laughs> play Xbox. Like, no. Or watch, I don't have an Xbox problem <laughs> in my house, but um, oh. it's Ken Burns. <laughs> really relaxing <laughs> i live in a i live in a household where there's a lot of sports and not because i'm turning it on and i can't tell you how excited i was that there was no sports for so many months oh you're like yeah. if i'm like summer oh that's terrible that's terrible i'm so sorry <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. My maternity leave was fab. I always talk about it to my straight friends. And like, Bitch. Yeah, everyone's like, I had postpartum. I wanted to kill my husband. <laughs> Pretty amazing. It's so good that. though that you had this amazing, beautiful. It's so cliche to call it like a journey, but like such a long, long trip to get to being pregnant, and then being able to really just like, I don't know, like savor that like new stage of motherhood all together and it be enjoyable and feel supported and you yeah. know well i hope you get to do it again um, and with goldie will be pretty cool i know the corona was the only other time i felt like i had legit time yeah like, i'm sure everyone feels like that yeah i mean you're a pretty busy lady like where i was like wow we were like lunch together at three like 2 p.m like great (laughs) (laughs) cool turn on the tv yeah that was nice i mean i don't like to like glorify the pandemic or anything but like that but it it was a nice break i think that like everyone really needed that right i mean that's the silver lining is that people did get to spend more time with their uh families you know and in enjoy that time, like, you know, maybe not, not necessarily by choice and maybe bad things and stressful things were going on, but they got to spend time with their family. That's yeah, a beautiful thing. And, yeah. and just like yeah. from all the craze and feeling yeah. like you have to do all these things, you know? I've said it so many times to the people in my household, like, I'm so sad that this is kind of like what is happening, but there's nobody else I'd want to be stuck in a pandemic with and like the people yeah. in my household, because I love them so much. Yeah, and it's, exactly. you know... I think back to many different household arrangements and situations that would have been not as enjoyable, but like, I actually, I like the people who I live with. I love my family and it's nice to be able to kind of, I know that we're all looking forward to a day that we can socialize differently, but if being safe means having to spend a lot more time with my family, I'm okay with that. Sam. Yes. Me too. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. Erin, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Bye guys. Bye. Take care. So what did you think about that story, Kim? I definitely had shared it with you, right? Um, Yes. I was once upon a time needing some inspiration and positive outcomes in a story in once in my life. And you shared that with me and I'm grateful that she shared it with us today and with all of you guys, all the crushers. It was awesome. Thank you, Erin. Yes. Thank you, Erin. That was great. Congratulations on your success. I like how she takes risks. Like little risks that add up to great things. Like even when she was talking about writing the note to pass <laughs> to pass <laughs> that cute DJ. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's a big risk taker. Most of the work that I did with her was surrounding made me. Um, 
she was willing to take so many risks with that brand. And it was really refreshing, especially because I had had such a long history working in design with so many limitations and restrictions and really no one willing to take any risks whatsoever. And it is sometimes exhausting. So she's a breath of fresh air. Kim, you have prepared some, uh, some content. I do. I have some content. I have some content. <laughs> you prepared a story for tonight to share. Yeah, Sorry, I'm I do. out of it. It's a good thing that you prepared something. <laughs> and you know what? And you know what? We edit. And yeah. then we make it all sound lovely and beautiful. And that's fantastic. Sure. I was thinking about this newer format that we're presenting where we have an interview and then uh, kind of a companion story. Some companion content for the listeners. With the theme baby love, I was thinking about, you know, why why do we why do we love babies? In general, like general public, why do we love babies? Because I mean if you think about it, they're they're kind of good for nothing. They uh <laughs> they smell, they're lazy, they don't clean up after themselves. If they're your kid, they're not paying rent, you know. <laughs> And if you're like auntie so-and-so, all they do is grab a hold of that hoop and they're not letting go. Like you watch out. Do not, for those of you who do not know, do not wear hoops around babies. Let this be a PSA. (laughs) Have all of your dangly earrings gone far away for a while? Marion? I haven't worn earrings like with any regularity in many, many years. I don't wear them now. Even necklaces. I have like a graveyard of necklaces that babies have ripped and ruined but that's okay yeah i just um, got seven chains back from the jeweler they're all fixed i haven't i haven't dared put one around my neck though right exactly so mm-hmm. like again why do we like babies that's it's it's a legitimate question um and you know what science is here to tell us and i'm gonna share <laughs> I'm with so you with everyone like, why we like babies <laughs> Because they're tiny and, little versions of us and we're narcissists. <laughs> you know what? That actually didn't come up in any of the articles I read, but it's a solid, it's a solid hypothesis. We'll test that one out later. Uh-huh. Once again, I'm coming at you with this hard-hitting science. Okay. We like babies because babies are cute. Oh, no, you don't say. I do say. And when I say cute, I'm not even talking really like vaguely. I'm talking about a a scientific concept. And and this is a subjective attractiveness, of course, but it's associated with youth, which we know, you know, society really values youth. There's also this concept that was introduced by a zoologist, Conrad Lorenz, who, if you know any of you zoologists and or maybe psychologists, so anyone who took like a psych 101 class, you might've learned about him. He's the guy with the imprinting in geese and like, geese followed him around and stuff, but that has nothing to do with babies today. (laughs) Conrad Lorenz proposed this concept of something called baby schema, which is this set of facial and body features that makes a creature, and again, it doesn't have to be a human baby, but like any little, little one, quote unquote, cute. And it activates in others, like non-babies, the motivation to care for it. And let me tell you, these are, let me describe to you these attractive features. Are you ready to hear? I can't what wait. Defines cuteness? I'm sitting at the edge of my seat. Large eyes, bulging craniums, <laughs> retreating chins. You like a weak chin? Guess what? You do. 
you didn't know it, but you like a weak chin. High foreheads. So like 10 head is cute here. When this show goes out, I'm going to post this in diagram of the cute features versus the more considered like adult features. It shows it in like a human and I want to say like a dog and a pigeon. And it's true. You're like, oh shit, that's a cute pigeon. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But it is. And I've been like actually like kind of staring at my own baby a little bit more and being like, your forehead is so fucking huge and you're so fucking cute. It's true. The big forehead, it goes, it goes miles. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed one of my daughters in particular has like her face is concentrated into like one inch and the rest of her head. Is <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And it works. Mm-hmm. That's the most amazing part is that it, it works. And so humans, you know, like adult ones, maybe not even adults, like other children too, but non-baby humans react really positively to this kind of stereotypical cute baby facial layout and 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 physical layout too like there's a whole thing where like their bodies are proportionally different they tend to be like thicker chubbier think like renaissancean cherubs kind of situation and in a study by stefan hammond uh, at emory university he found that cute pictures of babies so cute baby pictures increased brain activity in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the part that represents uh, emotion and reward in decision-making. So basically we're rewarded by looking at cute babies and hormones. So, so today's, today's piece is a lot to do with hormones, neuroscience, and also child development, kind of the interactions between humans and babies and why we wind up loving babies and how these little creatures manipulate us into loving them even more. So hold on tight. Uh, Hormones impact a person's evaluation of cuteness. Um, In premenopausal ladies, they were able to detect cuteness better than postmenopausal women of the same exact age. And women taking birth control pills, because birth control pills raise the levels of reproductive hormones, they are able to detect the cuteness, quote-unquote cuteness, stereotypical based on those features, better than the same aged women not on the pill. Mm. So basically birth control pills make babies cuter. So the pill wow. gives you baby fever. Nice. Just kind of an interesting twist there, right? It is. Cuteness is also one of the factors impacting caretaking in adults. There's two studies. One was in 2006 by Koyana, 2009 by this woman named Melanie Glockner. And these studies showed um, that in infants cuteness, like how cute they were, motivated adults to care for them, even when they weren't related. So it didn't need to be a bio parent or anything like that. People saw this cute baby and they were like, oh my gosh, I want to care for it. And also protect the baby. So the cuter the baby, you're probably better they're going to have these kind of like positive responses from the adults around them. I mean, we respond to the cuteness of puppies and cats and kittens, so. Oh, for sure. Right. We care for them. Yeah. So you might find yourself, like, smiling at babies in strollers or, you know, in memes or internet or whatever. And so we humans, we're biologically programmed to just like cute things. And in this case, we're talking about babies, just like you said, puppies, kittens, Gosh, do you remember Cute Overload, the website Cute Overload? Does that still exist? I do. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's an Instagram account. It's probably Instagram. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. It was like cute everything. Hedgehogs. It was like an overload of cuteness. 
It was. That <laughs> na- so, so aptly named. Good yes. job. Yeah. Excellent choice of that domain name. <laughs> but wh- why is that important? Exactly what we were just talking about. It turns out, actually, babies, they're so needy. They're really needy. They're super dependent. Um, they just can't do anything <laughs> on their own. And they need caregivers. So babies' brains, and for the first two years, go through this like really big developmental period. And a lot of that has to do with loving bonds and attachments with primary caregivers, which is usually apparent, but not always. And this attachment is one of the major factors in the baby growing up to be a happy, independent, and resilient adult, which, you know, that's a solid goal. Like, right. right. Like we kind of, we want in ourselves, or at least maybe I shouldn't speak for all of us, but I know I want to be a happy, independent, resilient adult. I want my children to hopefully grow up to be that as well. I want others too. That's a good thing. Um, an attachment between this like primary caregiver and the child is one of the most important roles in predicting the child's later social emotional outcomes. And so th- there's four, just kind of give you a little crash course in attachment. There's four major types of infant parent attachment. One of them being secure. That's what we want. We all want to shoot for secure attachment. The other three, insecure, avoidant, insecure, resistant, and insecure, disorganized, can create more challenging outcomes. I don't want to say negative, but more challenging outcomes. Um, an attachment and bonding, they're actually different. So a lot of times we, we hear them traded in and out uh, in, in different articles we might read, like parenting articles or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so bonding, it's not shown to predict any aspect of a child outcome at all. Um, bonding is that kind of skin to skin contact in that early critical period, which is good and important. It helps regulate babies' breathing and their body temperature and all sorts of like physiological systems, which is totally important. Not knocking the bonding. Do the skin to skin um, if that's available, right? But attachment is speaking more about this like interpersonal connection. Attachment is this more like powerful predictor of what this child's social and emotional um, it's going to look like later on down the road, whether it could be more positive or not. Attachment is where the child uses the primary caregiver. So again, this could be mom, could be dad, could be grandma, could be, you know, whomever this is identified. And we'll get into a little bit later how they identify who the primary caregiver is. Um, The primary caregiver is a secure base. And then from there, the kid can kind of like leave and explore their world and then come back to um, when they need safety or comfort if necessary. Right. And the quality of that attachment that the infant develops with that particular caregiver um, is largely determined by the adult's response to the infant when the baby's attachment system is quote unquote activated. So is the baby sick? Did the kid fall down and hurt themselves? Are they scared? Like if you respond that, Hey, I'm here and I'm going to attend to you and I'm going to attend to your needs. That's how the secure attachment is created. We're not going to get into the other ones. We don't need to talk about all the many, many ways children can get messed up. That's not part of the love podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, maybe all humans have this affinity for this cute baby, right? Uh, We talked about all the different ways, but it's interesting because a mother's love is actually neurologically different 
Right. I've read about this recently. Since I am a new mother, I have read about this a little bit that we, our brains actually, or the primary giver, prime, I, I'm curious about whether it is the primary caregiver or not based on just, you know, different situations. Um, but yeah, like your brain actually completely changes, right? Mm-hmm. Worry mm-hmm. Is, a, is a side effect of that. It is. And we have the amygdala to thank for that. So I will say we're in this moment, we are talking about bio moms and that's because the research is um, they're doing brain scans when the, the women are pregnant as well as uh, the postnatal period. So while mom is pregnant, the amygdala, which is um, the part of the brain that processes memory and it drives fear and anxiety and aggression. Um, and not only does it allow us to feel those emotions, it, it gives us the ability to kind of like perceive them in others. Mm-hmm. So that would be important when we're caretaking, right? And it has this increased growth that happens in the weeks following birth. And scientists think that this kind of like super powered amygdala makes mom super like hypersensitive to all the baby's needs and also creates a positive feedback loop to motivate the mothering side of things. And so it's a reward center of the brain is firing up um, just by staring at her own baby. There's another study that uh, measures oxytocin. We've talked about oxytocin a bunch. Um, you, you covered it in one of animal attraction. Yes. Yes. We'll be coming back to animal uh, attraction in a, in a minute. Um, so during pregnancy, oxytocin's increased and it remains at this higher level into the postnatal period. And every single time mom and baby touch each other, that level, it just kind of swells. They get another like oxytocin hit. Um, and so it really kind of increases that desire to care for baby more because, you know, you're getting high on your own supply. Um, but so what if you're, what if you're not a mom? What, what if you're a dad? Guess what? Baby's fucking with your head too. <laughs> There's, um, so, so, you know, Marion just brought up animal attraction crushers. Do you remember when you listened to animal attraction? Do you? Do, do you? Quiz, quiz later. Just kidding. Because <laughs> uh, because we see those numbers and you all skip that episode. <laughs> yeah, why is that? I don't understand why everybody skips Animal Attraction. It's one of my favorites. It's like me it too. Might, it it is good. Be, yeah. Top guys, go back. Listen. Very strange. Because uh, if you did listen, you would all remember that Marion told us all about the prairie voles. And guess what? They show up again when researchers are looking at how dads are impacted by the birth of their children. Really? The prairie voles rear their, their tiny little heads? Yes. Wow. Uh, they're, some of, they're some of nature's most attentive fathers. And it showed up in two different articles <laughs> I read for real. <laughs> um, and they talked about how like these new neurons sprout up in the hippocampus, which impacts learning and memory. And in humans, this a very similar thing happens. Um, and this reward processing just fires when they look at their kid 
which is awesome, right? Also, same thing with the moms, the oxytocin um, is, in this case, it's related to more like intense interactions between their fathers and their kids. So like the more they're like playing and engaging, they get those surges of oxytocin. Um, their testosterone gets changes. So there's a dip, There's a, it lowers, which is not a bad thing. If it goes too low, we, it's like depression, that's not good. But there's a sweet spot with a lot of fathers where it impacts their dad's ability to be this like nurturing, sensitive caregiver. Um, and then so, so sociolo sociologically, there we go, I said it, um, speaking, <laughs> men who live with their kids, they tend to work harder and make more money. Which is kind of, so, you know, stick around dads. Yeah. Don't be a deadbeat. You'll actually, it literally you'll, pays you'll off. be more successful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, back to the oxytocin, um, the fathers have a, a very similar surge after the birth of the kid. Um, and again, every time they engage, it doesn't even have to be like playing with the kids. Every time they engage with the baby, there's just a higher rate. So they were measuring that the same same study that measured um, mom and baby's oxytocin did a similar follow up with the father, and they were noticing that it just that reward system is activated the more you're engaging with the baby. So that's a real, huh. it's, a real it's a real positive. And and so we are talking a lot about bio moms and dads and whatnot. And while genetics, obviously, they play a part in creating a baby, parenting is really a concept between an adult and a child that stands alone without that genetic connection. And I think that's a really important part to focus on, especially with attachment. You know, you, there's no genetics involved in that whatsoever. Um, and for the, honestly, for the first six weeks of life, um, the baby shows no particular no particular attachment to a caregiver. It's considered the pre-attachment phase. Uh, like the baby's just a little, it's a whore. It's like, oh, are you going to take care of me and change my diaper and feed me? Uh, cool. You're cool with me. Does not care if you're mom, dad, adult number one, adult number two, like you can be a circus clown. They don't care as long as their needs are being met. Mm -hmm. But Things start to shift. So from six weeks to seven months, babies begin to, they get a little picky. They begin to show some preference between this primary and secondary um, caregivers in their world. By seven, seven and a half, like seven months plus, baby, you know what? Baby has favorites. So you better <laughs> have been working hard. Whether you were mom, dad, caregiver, one, two, three, or the circus clown, you better really been like playing, playing for keeps because that's what now baby has picked their favorite. Um, that's what we call the discriminant phase of attachment. And then by the time baby is like 10 months plus, now the, the, the baby's able to grow bonds with like other caregivers. So that, that part, it doesn't really matter if you're the favorite or not, because they're like stranger danger is there, but there's like more people in their safe circle. Um, and when we look at really what determines successful attachment, um, it's interesting because initially, uh, behaviorists really thought like food and feeding had the most to do with it. Um, and it really turns out that that nurture and that responsiveness, uh, really were the primary determinants of attachment. Bowlby is a behavioral attachment theorist, and he was, uh, really the one looking at like, how do kids connect with their caregivers? So basically, Humans, they're, they're programmed. We're all pro programmed to respond to babies. Um, our brains are literally rewarded for us just by looking at them. Those cute babies with the bulging heads and large eyes and weak chins. 
mm-hmm. think they're cute. We cannot get enough of them. Our brains are just firing. When we hold them and we squeeze their rolls and all that good stuff, when we smell them, our brains are like, yes, do this. This is awesome. We love it. And in return, the baby over time, it connects and attaches to us um, or, or at least to the adults in their life. So it kind of turns into this like, I love you. You love me. Barney song. We love, love each other. We love each other. And that's, a, that's, my, that's my story on baby love. It's very interesting. So you were saying that, you know, when this attachment is successful, what are the signs that the attachment is successful? Like the baby going to you when it falls? Yes. There's a couple of things. Like, so I'll, can, I, can I just use you as an example? So yes. like, so like sure. you maybe hand off one of your daughters or maybe you, you know what, maybe you're running an errand. So you, you leave and you're, you're out of the house for a couple hours. When you return, your babies want to come back to you. So for example, the insecure avoidant uh, kids, they don't want to like return to the parent because they're like, not sure how to act. Uh, When you leave, they're okay. Cause they know you're going to come back. Mm -hmm. They know that you've left them in a safe environment with like safe people. So they're fine with you leaving because they know that you will come back. And when you do come back, they want to connect with you again. So like, that's an example of secure attachment. Okay, good. So when I go to work for the day and my mom is watching the kids and when I come back and they're like rapidly crawling over to me, that's a good sign that they have a secure attachment. Yes. Very much. And they, they feel like you've left them in safe hands. Oh, they love my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for scheduling our play date with Wendy, mom. There's a lot of research around the value of having multiple people, multiple caregivers in your, in children's lives in general, mm-hmm. um, especially through different phases. Like, like when they're toddlers, it's really important because they want to just push all the boundaries of their primary caregivers, like parents. So it's better for them to actually like go to school and like utilize the structure that's associated there. And like school could be like daycare. It could be, you know, it sure. doesn't have to be this very like structured look at what, school is necessarily, but by have them leaving the house and interacting in other contexts is really beneficial for them. Great. Good to know. And when they're living terrors for their parents, it doesn't mean they're living terrors for other adults. They're usually much better behaved. Well, that was super interesting, Kim. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing Thank that you. with us. And I'm so happy that the, um, the Prairie Bulls return to our show. I yeah. Like those Prairie Bulls. I'm into them. I, I laughed when that first showed up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, those of you have listened because, you know, we can see, and we don't know who you are, but we thank you crushers who have already listened. And, you know, you can just pat yourselves on the back that you already gave that one a listen. The rest of you, you're missing out. I I should not scold. Let me lovingly, a gentle encouragement, go back. I think it's the second one we released. It's funny too. It's a funny episode. It's a good one. Yeah. Anyway, Kim. Yes. I was just my so own? curious. I was wondering what were you crushing on this week? Oh, are you ready? I'm going to go deep. Oh boy. Here we go. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, yeah, I have two things I'm crushing on. Lenny Kravitz and Nerd Ropes. The candy. Okay. Nerd Ropes. Nerd ropes. What is that? Is it like a Twizzler <sighs> that has like nerds stuck to it? similar but better kind of a like a licorice like strip and then Mm -hmm. it's just coated in nerds and it's 
just the right amount, you, you, like a little bit of chewy, a little bit of crunchy. Awesome. I'm salivating just talking about it right now. And I mean, Lenny Kravitz says, do I need to give a reason? No, no, no. His whole family, like I, I seriously go down a rabbit hole, like his whole family I crush oh, yeah. on. Zoe Kravitz. I wanted super, to be her crushable. and or maybe marry her when I watched High Fidelity on Hulu. Yeah. Crushworthy for sure. Oh gosh, yes. So Marion, what are you crushing on? You know who I'm crushing on? I'm full circle. I'm crushing on my very good, very old friend, Roxy, who introduced me to Aaron and we wouldn't have the we wouldn't have half of the show that we had tonight if it wasn't for her. And she is just such a good friend and has been an excellent and super supportive friend for many, many, many years. Roxy and is great. Yes, Roxy throws is great. A, throws an amazing party. For sure. And Sway. Oh my God, what an incredible party. Good times were had. I would go back in time just for one of those parties right now. Like I don't really a- miss my 20s, but I would do one one of those parties. I think one of my favorite parts about leaving, there was a brief period of time when I left my nine to five that I worked at with you and I was working a couple different jobs while also going back to school, which allowed me to actually go to her like a Monday night party. It Monday night parties are probably the worst way to start your, your work week. If you work nine yeah, to five. Seriously. And Aaron was talking about it too. And I also worked a nine to five and I w- like, I would go to bed Ugh, so late. Painful. Yeah. It wasn't even late at that point. It was early. All right. Well, Kim, Marion, have a wonderful siesta. Oh, thank I you. I hope you get to have one today. I kind of did. Yeah, good. All right. I hope I hope there's more in the future for for you, for me, for all of us out there that might need a little little bit of rest and respite. Yes. Get some rest, people. All right. Good yes. night, Kim. I love you. Good night, Mario. Love you too. Thanks for tuning in. You've heard from us and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have a love story to share? Looking for some advice of the love variety? Reach out on email, morethanacrushpodcast at gmail.com and find us on Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Special thank you to Natalie Joachim who composed our theme music. We're so appreciative, Natalie. Thank you. We love you.